Welcome to Orthopod, a podcast about the people of orthopedics and their stories. We understand that we all play many roles in our careers and lives, and it is these very stories that ultimately inform our successes and failures. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to another uh, Ortho Evidence podcast. This is going to be an interesting but short one focused on an update that we're giving you from a previous podcast focusing on quarterback injuries. With the Super Bowl just around the corner, in fact, Super Bowl 54, this has got the San Francisco 49ers uh, heading up against the Kansas City Chiefs. Remember, Sunday, February 2nd starts at 6 p.m. Eastern time. So let's take a quick look at the evidence in the end zone. For the San Francisco 49ers, we have Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback, 28-year-old, 6'2", 225 pounds, with an injury about 17 months ago. Now, this was an injury that required an operative uh, reconstruction of the anterior cruciate ligaments. He missed 10 months from his uh, playing season and has been back to play full-time six months ago. Now, let's contrast that with star quarterback Patrick Mahomes. For the Kansas City Chiefs, 23-year-old, 6 foot 3, 229 pounds, with an injury about four months ago. And you'll recall from our previous podcast, we spoke specifically about his non-operatively treated right patellar dislocation. Treated with bracing and ultimately missed about 24 days and has been back to play for three months. We're going to be joined very shortly with a call-in by Dr. Shish Beatty. Reminding you again that Dr. Beatty serves as Chief of Sports Medicine and Shoulder Surgery at the University of Michigan. He's also head physician for the Michigan Wolverines and Detroit Lions and a consultant uh, and a consultant firm uh, for many, many other uh, sporting teams. He's a surgical scientist with over 400 publications and 10,000 citations. Welcome, Ishii. Thanks for having me, Mo. Barring the evidence uh, that we have, if this was if this injury had occurred in in um, the same individual, so that, in other words, irrespective of age and let's say talent and even experience, um, Ashish, which of the two injuries would put you at a greater disadvantage if everything else was equal? That's a, a great question, Mo. Um, and each of these, as you pointed out, comes with their own inherent set of concerns. I'll answer it this way: um, ACL injuries, when they happen, uh, of course are significant. Um, you know, they require a surgical intervention by definition um, uh, because of the instability of the knee and inability to return. That comes, as we've already talked about, with a, you know, probably a nine-plus month recovery. Once um, you get 10 months out from the, from the surgery and have had an, uh, an uncomplicated, excellent result like Jimmy has, I think this injury starts to get to a, a point now where it's largely behind him, and that's reflected in these performance metrics that we just talked about. But I would maybe point out it's been an interesting year for me to watch in the NFL. If you look at even the playoffs, um, boy, every, uh, you know, not every, but a lot of the quarterbacks who are performing at a top level uh, were former ACL patients. You know, Deshaun Watson has had uh, bilateral ACLs. Ryan Tannehill with Tennessee had had an ACL. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has had, has had an ACL. So once you get to that point where you're out of that immediate risk for recurrence and have a stable knee, I think that's the... Uh, injury that's behind them and that they can function for a number of years with a good outcome. I think the patellar instability event in this case, particularly being relatively fresh on just this past season, is a greater disadvantage. And the reason I do isn't because I think it's the worst injury. Um, In fact, this is the one that has the opportunity to be treated non-surgically and may even be permanently treated non-surgically if Patrick doesn't have a recurrence. The worry for me, though, is that we know that there is still that significant recurrence risk looming for him. And that probably his, his mechanics are not entirely normal with a subtly unstable patella. And so I think if he twists, turns, takes the wrong hit, um, th- there's a real risk that that could recur. 
and take him out for the game, and then potentially now being a second-time event, you know, uh, commit him to an off-season surgery. So given the timing of where these kids are with their injuries, uh, as much as it sounds maybe a little counterintuitive, I picked the patellar instability event as the bigger disadvantage for this particular game. Well, you know, that's a fascinating uh, analysis because you're absolutely right. I mean, the chances of a recurrence is certainly one, I would I would make the assumption that a patellar dislocation recurrence is probably more likely than having a, you know, a re-rupture of his ACL, just, you know, based on what you've uh, said. So I think for Sunday's game, that's going to be one thing that really would be a really important thing to watch for. In our studio, Sepper Ektiari, who is the managing editor of Ortho Evidence, and Sepper's done something that'll help us out here. He's scanned our database, our large database of evidence, to specifically look at outcomes following these two injuries, one for patellar dislocation and one for ACL injuries. And we're really going to try to look and dig deeper into the evidence. Hi, Sep. Thanks so much for uh, taking a look at this. Thanks, Mo. Uh, so the first thing we'll talk about is how are these... ACL injuries treated uh, in these elite football athletes. And the first study we're going to look at is a survey actually done by Ericsson et al. And they looked at 267 NFL and NCAA football team physicians. So very relevant. Um, and basically what they found is that almost everyone wanted, would use an autograph, 99%, and would use a single bundle graft, also 99%. And the vast majority preferred to use bone patellar tendon bone grafts in NFL athletes and NCAA football players. That was 86%. So, so let me just ask you, Dr. Beatty, when you look at treating uh, these elite athletes, and what is your preference? And is that aligned with what others seem to be doing? Or do you have a different approach? Um, and by the way, are you aware of what specific surgical treatment um, he received? Yeah, uh, great, uh, Mo. You know, I, I would say that the data from the Erickson study is fairly reflective of, I think, what is the typical practice for those caring for Division I professional football clubs. Um, the preferences, you know, there's always changes and trends in, in orthopedics, but largely what has uh, stood the test of time has been uh, patellar tendon autograft, um, single bundle ACL reconstruction. Um, lots of studies, including the Moon Group, have demonstrated that autograft is the gold standard. Uh, there was a, a period of time where double bundle reconstruction was explored, but um, the, beyond the biomechanics, uh, the biomechanical data, the clinical outcomes data never really bore out um, to be favorable to a, a well-done anatomic single bundle. So this is in line with what we would practice. The times uh, where we sometimes explore other graphs besides a patellar tendon, uh, you know, relate to reasons where you may not choose to use a patellar tendon. It's either been used before, the patient may have a patella alta, high patella, or short patella tendon, or a history of Oshkosh-Schlatter disease, and so reasons where you may need to explore other autographs. And in that situation, we sometimes look to the quadriceps tendon or hamstring tendon. Those have been successfully used in high-level athletes. It just tends to be the go-to is really the patella tendon autograph. Got it. So is that a reasonable assumption for... Um uh, for Garoppolo's uh, treatment, or, or are you aware of how he was treated? Because we certainly couldn't find out the, the, the specific surgical treatment. We knew that he had the you know, repair, reconstruction, but we don't know much more beyond that. I, I, I would I share your sentiment, not being involved in the care for, for Jimmy, uh, you know, I wouldn't know for certain, but I would say it's a very safe assumption okay. uh, that he, he had a patellar tendon autograft um, unless there was some medical contraindication. Most, most NFL quarterbacks uh, 
or frankly, NFL athletes in general will tend to have that as the graft of choice for a primary ACL. Yeah, so we'll move on to what happens when do these athletes come back to play and what happens after they come back. So from that same Erickson study, uh, the physicians felt that a minimum of six months was required. That was 90% of them. And actually 64% said that they wouldn't recommend the athlete wear a brace in game. Looking at one more study uh, by Lai et al., this was a systematic review and meta-analysis of elite athletes, meaning they're at the top of their the highest possible level in their respective sports. It did include football players, but also other athletes. But they found that 83% returned to sport uh, among these elite athletes, returned to their same level. Uh, and their timeline was 6 to 13 months with a 5% graft rupture rate. So once again, that, that would put him in reasonably good stead because from our uh, uh, tale of the tape that we reviewed, we had him... Um, injured about 17 months ago and back to play about 10 months ago. Ashish, from your perspective, is there any concern with him, uh, you know, being back to month only 10 months? Is that that's, It seems like it's well within the range that, you know, you would you know, let these players come back. Yeah, it's a, this is a great area, Mo, and, and an area that can benefit from, you know, great minds like you who do true evidence-based work. The return to play decision after ACL surgery and frankly, so many things we do in orthopedics, right, is a, remains a bit of a black box, right? We know there's an element that we rely on just for the tendon to heal the bone or the bone to heal the bone. But so much about the time of return to play is dependent on these other functional metrics. You know, are they moving well? Have they corrected their, their alignment with single leg landing and cutting and pivoting? So as you know, there it's become much more mainstream to uh, perform a so-called motion screen or functional motion assessment on an athlete before they return. So the challenge here is even though we use calendar months to get back to play, it really should be based on, uh, you know, meeting milestones, you know, that the athlete's quadriceps strength is back and their mechanical movement patterns are back, et cetera. And I would tell you what's interesting is uh, it used to be we'd say at six months, if the knee examined well and they had a good Lachlan and drawer, you'd let it go back to play. And I think as we've learned more, that number has pushed further and further closer to a year. So being 10 months out for Jimmy to be back is probably more now the norm. You know, for me, if an ACL is, is functionally healed by six months, rarely are they leaving um, that visit and going back to playing NFL game, game play football. They're, they're gradually working their way into activities, um, gradually being brought into practice in a controlled environment, and then it's not uncommon for it to be 9 to 12 months back, but his, his would fit in that range. Okay. You know, with regard to bracing, yeah. um, that's an interesting area. There's not really one piece of evidence that I'm aware of um, that, that braces protect uh, from ACL re-injury. We tend to use them. They may offer some psychological benefit. There's been some low-level evidence of braces protecting against MCL injuries in linemen and in skiing athletes. But um, the brace is, in many times, a preference of the athlete or the, or the team physician or both, but not really rooted in evidence. Got it. Okay, that's very helpful. So interesting to note that Jimmy Garoppolo does continue to wear a brace in-game, and he's been very vocal about how it makes him feel better um, for what that's worth. Great. So moving on to whether these injuries affect uh, in-game performance. So there's a small study we'll look at by, uh, again, Erickson et al. They found uh, 13 NFL quarterbacks, so specifically the population we're looking at, 14 knees. This was a retrospective cohort. They found that 12 of the 13 athletes, 92%, returned to play in the NFL. And they actually matched them with uh, paired match controls of quarterbacks who did not have an ACL tear. And they found that there was no significant decline in their in-game performance after ACL reconstruction. We'll move on to Mahomes' injury now. Um, as we mentioned, he had the patellar dislocation earlier this season. 
The evidence here is much thinner than the ACL evidence, as you would expect. Uh, but we'll start with a Cochrane review that we looked at um, in our previous podcast as well. But this is really the best collection of evidence on this topic. Uh, they looked at six studies, total of 344 patients, looking at surgical versus non-surgical interventions for patella dislocation. And basically what they found is surgical management um, was favored in terms of preventing recurrence in the short term, two to five years. But this faded after six to nine years, and there was no difference. And in terms of functional outcomes, again, surgery was favored early. Non-operative treatment was actually favored later on in the six to nine-year range. And adverse events only occurred in the surgical group, as we would expect. So we now know uh, what he had uh, done, and he had a non-operative treatment. Would that have been your treatment? I think that was your advice when we had our first uh, podcast on this, Ashish. But I'm curious, again, knowing what happened, how you feel about that decision? Yeah, uh, you know, most of the time, uh, most for uh, an in-season athlete with a first-time patellar dislocation, uh, my my uh, go-to management management typically is non-operative. There are some exceptions to that. You know, if an athlete happens to have this dislocation and uh, knock off a significant piece of cartilage, so they have an associated osteochondral injury or loose fragment, um, then in that situation, you're pushed um, to have to to uh, treat the knee more aggressively with a surgical intervention. But most of the time, if it's an isolated dislocation without those associated factors of a fracture or a loose body, um, I would have reduced this and rehabilitated the knee. And then you have to counsel the athlete on what that means. Um, you know, they, they certainly have identified themselves to be at higher risk for recurrence. But usually if their desire is to return to play and they resolve their effusion and their plot is strong, you can often brace them and tape them and uh, get them back to a reasonable level of function with, a, with some calculated risk that you're assuming uh, for a risk of recurrence. Well, that's great. And, you know, uh, at that time, we'd also polled the OE community. We had about 355 surgeons respond to that very question, how would you treat a first-time patellar dislocation in a high-level athlete? And uh, just as you have um, educated us, three or four of those responses were uh, supporting a non-operative management regime. So I think, again, um, generally speaking, um, that was the treatment that most would have uh, at, at least opted for. So I'll, I'll have Sepra continue on with the evidence review here. So the next thing uh, we're going to touch on is, again, what happens with these patellar dislocations when they're treated non-operatively in athletes specifically. And like I said, the evidence here is quite thin, but there are a couple of studies to look at. So one is by Atkin et al., it's a prospective cohort of 74 patients, mean age of 20, and they were all treated non-operatively, and 69% were able to return to their um, pre-injury level of sport. And this took, uh, on average, six months for these athletes. On the other hand, Magnuson et al., um, a retrospective cohort study of 104 patients with a mean age of 24, also all treated non-operatively. This one was interesting. Um, they found that basically return to sport was determined by whether or not there was a recurrence, which makes a lot of sense. So there was a 27% recurrence rate in these athletes. And among those who had a recurrence, only a quarter of them returned to play. While among those who did not have a recurrence, 86% returned to play. So let me just uh, ask you this one, Ashish, and then, and then we'll kind of uh, ask one final uh, bigger question as we move forward. But, you know, he was back, as I understand, uh, in about 24 days or so. I mean, that seems, that seems fairly early. Um, is that, would that be typical of someone um, or typical of an elite athlete getting back that quickly? Uh, uh, great question, Mo. There's a, there's a huge range with, um, with these patellar uh, dislocation events. When you first see them before the dust is settled, I typically counsel them that this is, does live in the range typically of four to six weeks. Um, but there's, 
you know, there's kids who can be successful at rehabilitating and being back in, in less than that and ones who take longer. And for me, it's about meeting sort of the functional milestones. They have to have really near complete or complete resolution of their fusion or their quadriceps is still inhibited. They have to demonstrate weight, great quad strength, particularly their VMO, because they're relying a lot on that to maintain stability. And then uh, have no, no abnormal movement pattern or, or evidence of limited motion. If they've met all those milestones, then I feel reasonably comfortable regardless of what the exact date is that it's reasonable to return. All the other uh, uh, things that we're adding into the equation, the braces, the stabilization braces, McConnell taping, all of those things are sort of passive additions to try to add a little bit of, uh, of, of uh, augment to the natural dynamic stability from the muscle strain. So 24 days is a little bit, I think, probably on the earlier side, but maybe not surprising for an athlete like Mahomes. Got it. Okay, that's really, really good. Okay, we're going to do a quick little comparison here of return to play performance. Supper's going to give us some stats here. Yeah, so this is very interesting. Uh, looking at how both of these athletes perform before and after their respective injuries, um, you'll see up on the screen there now, The basically the, as passers, their passer ratings are very similar before and after injuries. But what I find really fascinating is both of their rushing games have actually been better since they've come back from injury which is interesting because these are both, like we said, knee injuries that you would expect to uh, affect their running game more than their passing game. But like I said, they've both actually uh, been better in terms of rushing attempts per game. So they're running more frequently and they're actually getting more yards per game uh, on the ground. Now, is that uh, typical in your experience too, Ashish, where um, you know, after an injury, we almost see an, uh, an elevation in performance? And is that somewhat of a psychological boost they get that they're trying even more aggressively to overcome you know, their, pri their personal injury. I'm curious why that would happen. That's a great question. I'd just be giving you a theoretical answer for Mo. I don't know. I, I tell you, I look at this kind of data, and when you have athletes like this who do this, it's a credit to them. I think to your point, maybe psychologically they're pushing themselves and aware that they're overcoming an injury and being that much more deliberate in their effort. For me, um, the, the more typical pattern to see is if it's been rehabilitated well and they have good, good function and and, uh, and the treatment has been appropriate, you don't see a drop-off in their performance. So to me, this shows that, at least in the case of these two athletes, you know, Jimmy has, has certainly gotten around the corner of um, his, his ACL and is now getting into the phase where that's a well-incorporated ligament, he has good normal movement patterns, and most importantly, confidence. I feel like uh, these, these performance metrics fall, uh, sort of tend to, to be on the lower side, even if there's an objectively normal physical exam, if the player doesn't have confidence or has apprehension that it's going to recur. I can't thank you enough for uh, sharing your insights with us, Dr. Beatty, today. We are going to get this podcast up as soon as we possibly can, and uh, we'll be in touch with you as well uh, as we get going. But thank you very much uh, for your time today. And I just leave it with you for any other final closing comments before we uh, close up uh, this podcast. Any thoughts? No, th th thanks for having me, Mo, and I would... Uh... Love to be back for one of these when we're talking about the Detroit Lions and the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not holding, I'm not holding my breath. Have you in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Beatty. Uh, enjoy yeah. the rest of your day, and we'll be in touch. Thanks, Dr. Beatty. Thanks, Dr. Right, Thanks, Thanks for watching Orthopod. Stay tuned for more episodes.